1: Welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, Assistant Sports Editor of the Houston Chronicle, and I'm joined from West Palm Beach, Florida. Well, he's in West Palm Beach. I'm in Houston. Astros beat writer Chandler Rome, where the Astros have commenced spring training. Pitchers and catchers reported on Thursday. And Chandler, I guess if we were to talk about question marks this spring, the podcast would last about 30 seconds maybe. There aren't a lot of them for this team that comes back from a world championship. But off to the first day, I'd just ask you what was the general tenor of that first day in camp? It's
0: tough to tell just because it's only pitchers and catchers. Uh, There were a few position players there. Jose Abreu, uh, the newest addition already in camp. Jordan Alvarez, Michael Brantley, Jeremy Pena, all in camp already as position players. But the whole team's not here yet, so it's hard to get a real vibe. But kind of was a business-as-usual sort of camp, uh, sort of first day. Um, A lot of questions about repeating. And, you know, it'll shock you to know that the Astros do want to win the World Series again. They are intent on repeating. Again, they want to be the first team in 23 years to win back-to-back World Series championships. And like you said, this team is, has very few question marks. Um, one of the few is uh, the backup catcher battle. And that is something that you could kind of start to get a gauge on a little bit the first day with Johnny or Diaz and Corey Lee both in camp. Corey Lee telling me that he gained 12 pounds in muscle. Uh, this winter to kind of get himself a little bit more durable, wants to be able to play a 162 game season. Johnny Diaz said he worked mostly this winter on framing on his defense. And that's kind of the the drawback with him as a catcher is he's, he's not as advanced defensively as Corey Lee, but um, that'll be a battle that kind of persists throughout camp. And that'll really be the only battle to watch, uh, presuming no one gets hurt. So uh as 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 for first days it was pretty normal pretty uneventful until the end uh when christian javier strolled to the podium and finalized his five-year 64 million
1: dollar contract extension yeah let's talk about that for a minute astros have a new gm dana brown uh on board and one of the things he said he was going to be aggressive with trying to get some players locked up and this was really the first big deal that he he made i think this is a a great one for the Astros, and I'll, I'll throw some numbers here at you for a second, but yeah, uh, Christian Javier, uh, five years, $64 million, and uh, for, for, a, for a guy in his position, this is life-changing money.
0: Oh yeah, and you got to think about what he signed for too. He signed for ten thousand dollars in the Dominican Republic in two thousand fifteen. Was something that he even mentioned today during his news conference. Was kind of where he's come from. That he was a ten thousand dollars signee. Uh, I was sitting right behind his parents who were in attendance, and to kind of see them beam at that. I mean, this is generational wealth. They are his parents are set for life. Christian Javier's set for life financially. You know, presuming there's not. Uh, presuming he he does does wise things with his money, um, he's he set for life, and I think that's something that can't really be uh, understated. But as far as you know, pitching and, and the strategy of the deal goes, it's a good one for the Astros, and it's probably of their extension candidates, of the most logical ones you look at. This was probably going to be the easiest one to complete, just because of Javier's relative inexperience. He's only got. One full year, one full Major League season as a starter, and that was last year. And obviously he acquitted himself very, very well. A 2.54 ERA. He led the team with 194 strikeouts, uh, even more than Justin Verlander had last year. Struck out 11.7 batters per nine innings. And then, as most fans will remember, was the starting pitcher in both of the Astros combined no-hitters. So um, they are betting on Christian Javier projecting out to be that good in all of his full seasons. Now, there is some risk that comes to that, but these extensions inherently, when you're doing an extension this early with a player, there there is inherently going to be some risk. But the Astros and their front office and Dana Brown and and Bill Furcus, who deserves a shout-out to Assistant General Manager Bill Furcus, who actually Dana Brown revealed on on Thursday, began these negotiations uh, before Dana Brown was even hired. So Dana Brown kind of came in and finished those negotiations with Christian Javier's agent, Dan Lozano, and uh, they got it done. And uh, I think the question now is going to be who's next. But uh, I think if this is the only extension the Astros get done this spring, you know, I don't think fans will be happy, but I think certainly it's a a good one for them to have
1: done. Well, here's why I love this deal for the Astros. And uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of history because I started looking this up. So Javier, if you go back to, September in his last 38 and the third innings of the season this includes the postseason he gave up eight hits and one run and the only run was as a reliever in the uh, ALDS game against the Mariners he gave up a homer to A. Eugenio Suarez so eight hits in 38 and the third innings not only did he have the six no hit innings in his last World Series start In the ALCS, he gave up one hit to the Yankees in five, I believe, five and a third innings in that one. Uh, So in the playoffs, he threw 12 and two thirds innings, allowed two hits. And so I start thinking, I wonder if anything like this has ever been done. And I I didn't look at all, it, but I thought the, the benchmark must have been maybe Johnny Vandermeer, who fans might know is the only major leaguer to throw two consecutive no hitters. And I looked this up and Vandermeer did this during a stretch of uh, he had uh, several complete games in a row and before the first no hitter um, he allowed I believe it was uh, four hits and the one after that he allowed three so that's seven hits in 36 innings they were complete games but then I looked at like the last inning in the game preceding out of the first inning preceding that and he gave up a couple hits so even Johnny Vandermeer gave up at least nine hits in a 37 inning deal it's just staggering when I look at this I mean Javier's ERA from that game against the Rangers, he allowed a couple unearned runs, uh, three total in an inning, and I think through two shutout innings at the end of that start, allows one run over those last 38 and a third innings. That's a 0.23 ERA. As you mentioned, he led the team in strikeouts. He's got that invisible. I just think this is the guy who, from Valdez was fantastic last year, and maybe he is ostensibly the ace in waiting after Justin Verlander's departure. But I just think Christian Javier is a guy that I know Dana Brown talked about trying to identify talent early. And I just think Javier fits that bill wonderfully.
0: Yeah. And I mean, certainly I don't think you can count on that sort of dominance that you just detailed. I don't think that you can count on that consistently. I think, you know, there's going to be some ebbs and flows with him. He's still a young pitcher. He's still only 25 years old, still only has, you know, 300 big league innings under his belt, which is, is not a lot. And, you know, he has struggled with command at times. He's been Homer prone a little bit at times. I think everyone will remember the 2021 world series in game four in Atlanta. He gave up the back breaking back-to-back home runs, but um, that's just kind of the kind of take it in stride because his upside and when he is on, as you just kind of detailed, he can be unhittable and you know he allowed opponents to hit just 170 last year which is the lowest opponent batting average for any pitcher that threw at least 140 innings last year so they like his they obviously like his stuff um they like his i think they're bullish on his durability when it maybe hasn't proven itself at the big league level yet he's never thrown more than 150 innings at the big league level um that's maybe the next step he needs to take he needs to Prove these durable. I'm not saying he needs to go out next year and throw 200 innings. And it really hasn't been his fault that he hasn't been durable because he, he alternated so much in 2021 from the bullpen to the rotation. And then even last year, at the beginning of the season, when the Astros were trying to configure their six man rotation, he was often the odd man out he was often the guy in the bullpen so uh, make no mistake about it, though, with this contract and what they're paying him. He, they're not paying him to
1: be a swing man out of the bullpen. They're paying him to be a starter, and he will be cemented in that rotation. Well, one thing that's going to be different, and sometimes spring training games, you think, well, what is there to watch in their Players are trying to solidify positions or whatever. But this spring is different for Major League Baseball. Uh, it's going to be a different-looking product this season in a couple of extensions. He's got some rule changes. And I thought we might, you wrote an excellent piece for um, the Chronicle about how these might be affecting some of the Astros, but I thought it might be interesting, people might be going to West Palm Beach or some other uh, spring locale to talk about things they're going to be seeing. And and the the main things are the pitch clock, the elimination of shifts, and these larger bases. And maybe we start, I guess, with a word that is now going to become part of the baseball vernacular, and that is disengagements. Um, What? are disengagements for the fan that might not have yet heard about them.
0: It's kind of what it says it is. It's a pitcher disengaging uh, his foot from the rubber. And pitchers are now only allowed two disengagements from the rubber per plate appearance. Basically, it's going to stop uh, a pitcher stepping off uh, a lot of times and, and delaying the game. This is put in place because they do not want pitchers to step off to reset the pitch clock. Part of it too is you know they want to speed up the game. All of these rule changes are, are they have two things in mind: one, they want to create more offense, and two, they want to speed the game up. They want more action and they want the games to go quicker. Uh, just because the casual fan, I mean, I look, I, I don't mind a, I don't if if it's a well played, well pitched game, I don't mind a three and a half hour game. But I'm I'm kind of odd. I can imagine that the normal. Kind of person probably wouldn't want to sit around for three and a half hours and and watch a baseball game with very limited action. But um, so Major League Baseball is trying to address that. And the one thing, like you mentioned, are disengagements. Uh, I think the disengagements thing it's an interesting. It's going to be an interesting cat and mouse game because you now know that if a pitcher steps off, and, and look, a disengagement is both a step off and a pickoff throw to first base. So pitchers now only have two pickoff throws to use uh, per plate appearance. Um, so if a runner at first base is, is instinctive enough and can get a good enough lead to, to entice a pitcher to throw over twice, uh, he knows that he's pretty much home free if he tries to steal. Now, if a pitcher steps off a third time and make, and records an out on the basis, so let's say on the third pickoff throw over, he actually does pick the runner off, there's no penalty. But if not, if they step off a third time, then that is a bulk, which means that the runner on base would advance to second base or third base or advance 90 feet. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be a very interesting rule change. I think it's certainly one that I think a lot of casual fans are, are probably welcoming because I've watched baseball games with people that don't follow the sport much, and they ask, why is the pitcher not pitching? Why is he stepping off? Why is he taking so much time? Uh, That won't be a problem either because now we have a pitch clock. So we have a pitch clock. We have a limited number of times you can step off the rubber. Uh, It's basically, you've got to be like Wade Miley. You've got to get the ball and go. You've got to get the
1: ball. You've got to get into your windup and you've got to pitch. And I think the interesting thing, too, about that, the, the disengagement, you know, it's what if you got runners at first and third, then that really creates interesting situations. I mean, maybe teams are even more aggressive about trying to put two runners in scoring position. Maybe you see more double steal attempts. I don't know. But um, and I think the deal is, you know, you talk about length of games. It's it's not so much like it's just pace of games. As you say, why aren't the pitchers pitching? And this is going to affect hitters, too, because they got to get in the box. So the pitch clock is and correct me if I'm on 15 seconds, base is empty. 20 seconds with men on base, but then the, the batter has to be, I believe, when the clock gets down to eight seconds, he's got to be ready to face the pitcher. So you're not going to have any more, no more Garcia Parras in the league, or to, to harken back to a guy who's always adjusting his batting gloves. I mean, so it does at least pick up the pace. And I guess players are going to have no choice but to adjust. And basically, you can't argue the pitch clock. Talk about some of the Astros who some of these new rules who might, who we might really watch to see the effects of them.
0: Well, you're talking about a guy that adjusts his batting gloves. Jose Altuve is going to have to find a way to quicken his between pitch routine because he is notorious for stepping out, adjusting his batting gloves, spitting a couple times, taking his helmet off, all that kind of stuff. So he's going to have to find a way to speed it up a little bit. But I think Altuve will benefit from the bigger bases. I think he'll benefit from the disengagements rule because, you know, this is a guy last year that, that had a, He stole 17 bases after stealing 16 combined in the last three years. He had a directive to run more, so he did run more. I know his base running can be maddening for Astros fans because it seemed like he got thrown out on the base paths just about every other week. He did lead the league with 16 outs on the base paths, but now that the bases are bigger and now that there's a a smaller margin for error and there's a couple inches more you can take, do not be surprised to see Jose Altuve going first to third even more. Uh, you know, Kyle Tucker, who was very, very close to a 30-30 season last year, hit 30 homers, stole 25 bases. I would imagine he's going to to get that 30-30 season this year with, you know, like everything I said, that, in, that invites running, that invites more uh, aggression and stolen bases. You know, you look at. The banning of the shift, obviously that's going to help left-handed hitters. Not that Jordan Alvarez needs any more help. He just finished third in the MVP voting. Um, he doesn't need help, but eliminating the shift will help him somewhat. Uh Kyle Tucker, I think it'll help a little bit more, but just, just because of someone that watched him every day, it does feel like he grounded into the shift way more than Jordan Alvarez ever did. And I don't have stats to back that up, but just the naked eye just kind of seemed like every time Kyle Tucker would make an out on the ground, it would be into the shift. So maybe that helps him out a little bit, but on the flip side, you do have to look at, you know, two of the Astros top three pitchers, Fromber Valdez and Lance McCullers jr. They are ground ball pitchers. They are ground ball aficionados. And when you're a ground ball pitcher and the shift is abandoned, then, you know, some of those ground balls you give up are going to sneak through as much as pitchers used to decry the shift as much as they used to throw their hands up when they would give up a ball to the, the vacated side of the field. I think the opposite's going to maybe come into play this year when there's going to be times when you would look at a left-handed hitter that hits a ground ball where Jose Altuve would usually be standing in the pull shift. And instead it trickles through for a single and you're going to kind of wonder, man, I wonder if the shift would have been there, if, if that ball would have been gotten, but um, it's a give and take. I, I think, when you look at the pitch clock, uh, the most interesting thing for me about the pitch clock—I know everyone's making a big deal about Luis Garcia's delivery—he will not be able to do that elongated windup. A lot of people call it "rocking the baby." He, he won't be able to do that anymore. He said today he's just going to have to be normal. He's going to have to pitch normal, and it's going to be honestly as if he was pitching from the stretch. He's just going to have to adapt his his stretch motion to to pitch from the windup. So. The one that interests me the most is Fromber Valdez. And, and, you know, I wrote about it extensively last year. Kind of the way he blossomed into who he is is partly because of his work with a sports psychiatrist. And, you know, the sports psychiatrist, Dr. Andy Nunez, um, implored him to breathe, implored him to step off the rubber, take a few seconds to take a deep breath and don't let things um, compound on you. Well, now he's got a pitch clock that he, he's got to kind of time himself more. He's got to be quicker with that. And it's not as easy to just step off. We just talked about it. You can only step off twice. So in some of those big innings where, you know, Dusty Baker would always tell Framber Valdez to take a 20-second timeout, he can't do that anymore. They're, they're, you take a 20-second timeout, you're going to get a ball called on. you. And I, I think Framber can handle it. He, he didn't speak to us today, so I, I think we're going to have to ask him about it here soon, but You know, I think that'll be interesting to see how he adjusts because as we've written and as it's been extensively talked about, you know, it it cannot be overstated how much his mental psyche has improved after his work with a sports psychologist. And to see that work possibly threatened, to see those tactics maybe um, having to be cut short, having to be cut out totally, be interesting to see how that affects him because um, I, I think maybe that's not the one thing that people thought about a lot, but it's something that just occurred to me a couple of days ago that, man, Framber Valdez is really going to have to, you know, he can still take his deep breaths and he can
1: still collect himself. He just have to be quicker doing it. Yeah, believe it or not, I was actually thinking about that during game six of the World Series. There was a moment where he had stepped off the mound was kind of gathering himself and one of the two World Series games he won, but I thought, you know, if there's a pitch clock right now, he needed to get with it, you know, and that is kind of a part of his game. So I think it will be fascinating to watch Uh, The other change, uh, the the bases being bigger, uh, which uh, really, I think the primary focus of that was for safety issues, giving the first baseman a little bit more room so you avoid collisions there on the baseline, but it does put the bases close together, so maybe that's another impetus for more running. Um, But talking about the shifts, too, I guess I look at from the defensive standpoint from the Astros, they're going to have to, I mean, this this really affects a team that shifts, I believe, as you wrote, more than anybody did last year.
0: Yeah, they shifted more than any American League team. The Dodgers shifted a little bit more than them, uh, percentage-wise, but the Ashers did shift the most of any major league team against left-handed hitters. So they were always in that left-handed pole shift. With you know Jose, Al- it was like a triangle on the on the right side of the infield with Jose Altuve basically playing in short right field, Jeremy Pena to his right. On that side of second base, and then Yuli Gurriel. Uh, the rules state now that you have to have two fielders on each side of the base, on each side of second base. So there is no more pull shifts. Now there is a way to circumvent that if they were to choose this. Um, outfielders, they have not given any jurisdiction to. They you you can do with outfielders what you please. So what is stopping the Astros from, if they believe in their heart of hearts, that they have to shift this left-handed hitter, what is stopping the Astros from running Kyle Tucker in from right field, putting him perhaps where Jose Altuve used to stand and making that a pseudo pull shift. Um, You know, you can still move your guys. They have to stay on each side of second base, but you can still bunch them together. So you can move Jose Altuve, as far as you want into uh, into the right in the right to his right uh to counter that pull shift so there are ways that this can be circumvented and believe me the Astros are already kind of looking into them they are looking into ways that they can better procure outs but um it's just going to be kind of a more straight up field. it's going to be a more of a straight up game uh, kind of a more traditional game and again the goal here is they just want more. They want more action. They they want they don't want every batted ball to be hit to a perfectly placed defender. They want guys to get on base. And, and, you know, that's part of this. They want more guys on base. And then when the guys get on base, the bases are now bigger and there's now a pitch clock and there's now a limit on pickoffs. So the guys can get on base and they can start to run. They can start to steal uh, for some reason. I don't know if this is true or not, but for some reason, MLB thinks that fans just love the stolen base. They want to see the stolen base. I don't think it's the most exciting part of the game, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not viewing the the sport right. But um, fans will have their fair share of stolen bases this year because the Astros are going to uh, the Astros and, and the league as as a whole are, are going to be enticed far more to to be
1: aggressive and steal bases. What do you think in terms of you know I, I do think that um, the left side of the infield, the Astros. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but they've got two pretty rangy players in Bregman and Pena, who I think can cover a lot of ground where maybe, as you said, on the right side, Altuve's range isn't particularly good. And I I don't know a lot about Jose Abreu at this uh, point. I don't think he has the range of the man he replaced, Yuli Gurriel, but it does make me wonder if what you said, that maybe they tried against left-handed hitters a little more than righties, but um, uh, it's going to be an interesting adjustment. Like you're, you're, I mean, is this where, really teams that have and Jeremy Pena became the first rookie to win a gold glove at his position last year people who really have a and shortstop are going to be in an advantage oh yeah and I mean I, I still maybe I'm biased because I watched Carlos
0: Correa for as long as I did but you know just watching him and the range he had I don't think Pena has that level of range he has great range you want a gold glove I'm not going to sit here and criticize him but I don't think he has Carlos Correa-esque range, but he still has very good range. Bregman's range, you know, he's much better on those charging ground, on those slow rollers when he's got to charge in, bare hand a ball, things that he's so good at those charging plays. Um, you know, his legs have been a problem in, in, re- in the past. He's had hamstring issues. He's had quad issues. You know, I'm not saying that that's going to affect him next season, but his range just maybe hasn't been the, the best. So, um, I think the left side of their infield, they'll, they'll be stout. Um, you know, the right side, you know, Altuve's had his problems at second base. The underlying defensive metrics don't love him. He, he's never been an elite second baseman, but, um, you know, he he was noticeably better last year just with his throws, with everything last year. So um, and Jose Abreu is not Yuli Gurriel. Um, He even spoke today about wanting to get better defensively. Joe Espada is going to have to work a lot with him, kind of with things around the bag, kind of his finesse and kind of how he handles himself around the bag. So, um, yeah, I I think this is an Asher team that is equipped to absorb the the shift and the the banning of the shift, but it's going to be a big, big hurdle for them to clear because like we mentioned, they are very, very, they were very shift heavy. And I think something else, that not a lot of people are talking about that could be detrimental to teams like the Astros is, you know, two of those guys were talking about Jeremy Pena and Jose Altuve. They're going to go play in the world baseball classic in about two weeks. The world baseball classic is going to be played under the previous rules with you can shift as much as you want. There's no pitch clock. Like the normal rules we just played in 2022. Um, having those guys away from camp for as long as they're going to be away. If, if, if these teams advance to the semis and the finals, there's a chance these guys could be gone for two, three weeks, having them away this spring with all these rule changes coming in. I'm not going to say it's going to be a huge, huge thing, but it's something to certainly monitor because if there was one spring, you needed your full team there. You needed your full team just there for six weeks. Locked in, engaged, it's this one. And the Astros have 11 members of their 26-man roster, uh, their 26-man World Series roster from last year, currently scheduled to play in the WBC. So um, there's a reason those guys reported early. There's a reason those WBC guys reported early. So they're already working on that stuff in spring training, but it'll be interesting to see how much that affects the rule change rollout and how
1: the Astros uh, embrace it. Well, it's going to be an interesting spring because of these. And of course, I'm sure this will be a topic of discussion as we continue on. And I think you make a great point. Yeah, the assimilation period for those 11 players decreases. And I've read some things about how these rules, as they were implemented in the minor leagues, there was kind of a gradually had violations kind of go down to where you, by the end of the season, you're not having as many. But it'll be interesting to watch. And I think, as you say, it'll be interesting to see how teams strategize around the new rules. Well. I think that covers this first podcast of spring. I want to remind you that you can follow Chandler Rome in the pages of the Houston Chronicle and at HoustonChronicle.com. Also on Twitter, at Chandler underscore Rome. He tweets frequently. So if you want to keep up with what's going on in the uh, grapefruit league with the Astros, you can certainly do it when you uh, tune into Chandler. Uh, we'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, and we'll talk to you soon.